welcome back to Unconditional and Uncensored. We are your hosts, Renata and Lauren, and here you'll find the essence of an unconditional, unapologetic, uncensored friendship. Do you remember from our previous episode when I said that I have a fear of deep water? Um, like, I don't even want to go more than knee height when I'm at the ocean or in yes, the ocean. Yes, yes, your irrational phobia. Although, not as irrational as um, the thought of dinosaurs coming up behind you at toothbrush time. Yes, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> but I do feel, if you've been reading the news this week, I do feel like the validity of that fear was confirmed. I'm sure that you've seen in the news about the tragic deaths of the five people who were aboard the Titan submarine that went for a viewing trip of the Titanic wreckage, which is almost four kilometers below the surface of the the sea. I did see that. I did see. So tragic, but so avoidable. That's true. Uh, absolutely. But I guess that if you're so invested in seeing the remnants of a significant historical event like the Titanic sinking, then I guess you're also prepared to accept the risks that go along with that. Um, that being said, I'm just as interested in history and the sinking of the Titanic, but you would not catch me climbing into a metal tube to descend four kilometers into the ocean. Oh, deep water. absolutely not. Absolutely not. Look, I really feel for the families of these people. I mean, I don't think anyone would have seen this coming, but I also do think that it's pretty fucking stupid to climb into something that has not been safety checked and had, you know, has the clearance to go that deep. I mean, surely, yeah. surely after on such a, an expedition, you would make sure that everything mm. has got those safety checks in place. Yeah, 100%. And I would want the company and the staff and the pilot and the, uh, the everyone to be like 120% sure that everything is safe. And if there was even the sliver of doubt, I would not go within 10 meters of that, uh, of that submarine. So our topic of today is what we call perspective clouding. And the reason that I came on to today's episode was I had a conversation with my parents the other day. We know that they were here and I was talking to them about immigration and the potential of them moving here. And my dad's perspective on the whole immigration story was uh, geared towards his financial considerations. So, you know, (laughs) particularly with them coming over from South Africa, being exposed to the exchange rate, to inflation, and, you know, the affordability of living here long-term, where my mom's perspective was more inclined towards the emotional side of things and being closer to my sister and I. Mm -hmm. And her grandson, obviously. (laughs) Yes, of course. Of course, he's an extension of us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where my perspective was more around emotion, but also kind of the future planning side of things. So what considerations do my sister and I need to have in mind when my parents come to the age that they won't be able to care for themselves anymore, or where they might need a little bit more help around the house? Well, can I just say that your perspective that you've described here is almost an exact 50-50 mix of what your parents' perspectives are? You've got the emotion, but you've also got the planning. <laughs> true, I suppose. True. Yeah, I guess you could. Yeah, see, I, I, I guess you could see it in that light. But the point being that every person in the room kind of has a 
different perspective on on this right yes mine is maybe mm-hmm. a mix of of both of them but my my future planning is more I suppose it's around the financial side of things but maybe not as heavily as what my dad's might have been yeah fair enough Another example. So I was talking to my dad about living circumstances and choosing houses and areas to settle in, because obviously I'm in that phase of life where buying a house is kind of on the forefront of consideration. And my dad was of the opinion that you don't, you can own a house in a decent suburb, but it doesn't have to be that high end suburb and it doesn't have to be that high end lifestyle. Living in a normal suburb should, or just any decent suburb should be enough right you don't have to have the view you don't have to live on the beach you don't have to have the big house that living that smaller lifestyle is enough and it should be enough but it also give or because it also gives you more room for financial stability so you're more likely to save your expenses mm-hmm. will be less you're not going to be splurging on the accommodation or an expensive lifestyle okay where my perspective is that home is where I spend most of my time outside of work right so home needs to be my happy place and therefore the things that are important to me makes it the area that I'm in or the accessibility that I have from home so just living in any suburb to me just isn't going to cut it because I don't have access easy access to stuff like nature or the beach or you know pretty parks around stuff that's really going to fill my cup So to me, it's kind of Mm -hmm. a, why do I need to compromise on those things that I know make me happy for, for what, you know, yes, financial stability is a thing and I get it, but surely if paying a little bit more money to have the things that make me happy, makes me happy, then why compromise Mm -hmm. on that? I don't know. What's your view on this? Well, in that specific example, I tend to agree with you, um, If it's, you know, within your means and you are still paying all the the necessary bills and, and all that, then I 100% agree on spending just that little bit more to be closer to nature or to be wherever you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're right. It is, you know, even if you spend your whatever, eight to 10 hours a day working, your home is your sanctuary. It is your mm-hmm. haven. It is, you need to actually come home and feel also that you're happy in this environment. And if that happiness means sitting on the veranda with a glass of wine and looking at the ocean or looking at a forest or something like that, then yeah. But if I move away from that specific example, Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree that there are many lenses through which one can view a situation. And I think it comes down to us as individuals. So we have all been influenced by a variety of factors. Um, We spoke about that as well uh, two episodes ago about the influence of our upbringing on who we are today. And I mean, that's got a big influence in this too, because Mm -hmm. those factors can include your childhood experiences, observations of how your parents do things, your own unique personality, uh, the friends and the people that you spend your time with, where you work, what you've spent your time qualifying yourself in. Mm Yep. your age as well there's there's so many things that really would influence this lens that you view a certain situation through yes absolutely but if we have to bring this back to a, a professional perspective if we have to say we've got a room full of of people we've got people attending an event and you have to put say myself who is a speech therapist you've got you who's an audiologist we have an occupational therapist a psychologist and a physiotherapist 
all in the room and we all need to stand back and observe what is happening to the room uh, in the room. But when we get together later to come and speak about what we'd observed in the room, we're all going to be inclined to comment on different things, right? So me as a mm-hmm. speech therapist, I would probably be commenting on body language, pragmatics, the use of language, how people carry themselves, what sort of avoidant behaviors you might see. As an audiologist, what would you be focusing on? Well, first of all, is anybody wearing a hearing aid? <laughs> it's like one of those things is that even if you don't want to notice it, you see it as an audiologist. And then you try to guess what brand it is. Um, yep. But generally, because acoustics is so important when you are in a social situation and you are also having to just listen to many different people that are, might be speaking at the same time or speaking very closely together, mm-hmm. you're looking at the setup of the room, um, watching the people's listening behavior, are they more likely to engage in certain instances? For example, are they engaging in noisy spaces as well as quiet spaces? Mm. Um, Are they tilting their head or moving closer to the speaker, perhaps preferring one side? Uh, If they themselves are speaking a little bit loudly as well, because when you have hearing loss as well, you don't really hear your own volume. (laughs) So they do tend to speak a little bit louder. (laughs) so yeah, I think uh, yeah, yeah, those are those are probably the the top things that I would be looking at. Okay, yep. So an occupational therapist would probably also come and comment on how people are dressed, but like how they've managed to get themselves dressed. Are they neat? Are they, you know, in a presentable manner or kind of a little bit sloppy or whatever? What is their positioning when they're eating? What is their state of regulation? So that would kind of be the emotional state that they're in. Are they very anxious? Are they very nervous? Are they calm? Are they comfortable? Um, that type of thing. They'd probably look into confidence levels, um, body language, also how they present themselves, where a psychologist would probably focus on stuff like demeanor, body language, facial expressions, the topic of discussion, how they interact with a partner that is there with them, whether Mm -hmm. they are inclined towards engagement or not, the reactions that they give to people. And similarly, a physiotherapist would be focusing on posture, stance, how they move, whether they favor certain limbs over others, their balance, etc. So, Therefore, it stands Mm -hmm. to reason that our perspective of the world is clouded by what you do on a day-to-day basis, right? That makes sense, yeah. Let's see how we would apply this to a neutral setting. How do you feel about getting old? Oh, good Lord. (laughs) I'm I'm doing the ostrich thing on this one. I'm sticking my head in the sand. Um, My perspective doesn't actually make sense if I have to really, you know, say it out loud. I don't want to get old because I'm scared of dying, but I also want to get old so that I evade death as long as possible, hmm. um, which really does sound quite ridiculous, doesn't it? Hmm. And and also another thought that I've had in the last two weeks since my arm surgery is, you know, not being able to do things for myself um, hmm. and having to also ask for help. And I like to be independent and, I don't want to get to a point where I need to, where, or where I need help with everything, that I can't be independent more. And that's something that generally happens when you get old to a certain, at a certain mm. point, you, you really sort of need some assistance. Mm. So by that logic, I should not want to get old, but die young, which I equally don't want. 
So it's quite a conundrum. Yes, I am. I'm inclined to agree with you, but my perspective on it is more maybe also because I, well, yes, because I deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Um, But I I wouldn't say that I'm afraid of getting old. Um, I would, would say that I'm definitely not afraid of dying. Well, maybe like... 80% not afraid of dying. Okay, okay. But I don't want to get that old. Like, most of the people that I work with in the aged care facilities are, a very few percentage of them are below 90. So between like 85 or 84 and 90. The rest of them are all 90 to 98. Yesterday I saw a lady that was 103 and she was still, you know, kicking very vibrant and alive and walking and you know she wasn't bed bound and so on but I just I I don't think I want to get that old I'm quite happy to get to 75 and then kick the bucket okay and what are you gonna do when you get to 75 and you're perfectly healthy I'll figure that out when I get there (laughs) Mm -hmm. or in the lead up to it but I don't want to be put in that position where I have kids that are needing to take care of me and needing to support me financially. And I don't want to, I especially don't want to end up in an aged care facility where I've got other people that need to change a diaper for me because I've become incontinent or that Ooh. need to help me get into bed. You know, mm. I don't want that. I re- I just don't want it. So I guess getting old comes a part of life for me, but if I could choose, I don't think, I don't, I think I'm, I don't see beyond 75. Okay. I'll just, I don't know, wrap you in bubble wrap when you turn 74 and a half (laughs) or or, or lock you in one of those padded cells like they were in the Melbourne jail, the old Melbourne jail. When we visited it, they've got these padded cells for those who were maybe inclined to hurt themselves or others. (laughs) You'll put me in the loony bin. (laughs) At least you'll stay alive. (laughs) But I think this is actually kind of interesting is that this is not something, this this sort of growing old thing isn't something that I generally devote that much thought to. Um, It's not Mm. something I'm faced with on a daily basis. I don't work, well, I don't work directly with an elderly population. I mean, I work for a hearing aid manufacturer and many of the recipients of the hearing aids are elderly, but Mm. I don't interface with them. So, I mean, this is not something I really give them much thought to, but... And you've just said as well, you spend a lot of your time working in aged care facilities. So I guess you're working a lot more with the elderly than I would. Mm-hmm. So that speaks to what you just said earlier, is that your perspective is, um, I don't want to, okay, I almost said the word warped, but that's not the right <laughs> word to use, that your perspective is influenced by what you're doing on a daily basis. Yes. So your outlook on life or your perspective boils down to two things, right? You've got perception and you've got perspective. So if we have to define these two, perception and perspective, it is becoming aware of something and forming a point of view or attitude towards it, correct? Yeah. And that would be influenced by our background. Yes. So as you mentioned before, we established Mm -hmm. in an earlier episode that your upbringing influences your life as an adult. And we've established that we're inclined to live into this narrative that was set by your upbringing. But today I want to bring in another factor of interest, background and day-to-day interactions. Okay, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. 
as a speech therapist, I have five years of training in speech pathology and eight years of field experience, which is mostly in the acute hospital setting. This means that my day-to-day focus for the last almost 13 years has been on impaired communication and medically complex conditions that influence swallowing. So Mm -hmm. when I interact with a child today, because of my background, my interactions are skewed towards allowing me to understand that child's communication style or how they're inclined to communicate and what sort of language they use. Or if I, for instance, sit around a dinner table with friends, I'm more often than not paying attention to their eating behaviors and they're swallowing what I can deduce from an informal observation. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, a great example of this, and I feel this is something that brings us into my next point as well. I was just yesterday doing a CPD educational activity that or that was on echolalia in children with autism. Now, very quickly, echolalia is the repetition of words by someone else. So the speaker, without going too deeply into it, was saying that Echolalia in children can be indicative of a different way that these kids learn language. But at university, we are taught only one way of teaching kids language and interpreting their need to learn language, where this other new way is disregarded completely, not even a mention. Okay. I guess that's just an example of how your perspective on the world can be clouded by your background and training and how other people can influence your perspective. So, well, it's probably, I mean, it sounds a little silly to say it, but I mean, your perspective can change. So it's your perspective is is influenced and is molded by how you've been trained or, you know, all the other factors that I mentioned earlier. But if you are given a perspective that is contrary to yours, you can, I guess, consider it. Uh, see if it stands up to what you have been all the information you've been relying on previously and then you can also change that perspective right yes right a career counselor that I'd come across the other day um says and I quote your perceptions are not merely a result of reality they are indeed a source of it so your sorry I'm just trying to like process that So your perceptions are not merely a result of reality. They are indeed a source of it. So your perceptions are a source of reality. Yes. To you. Mm -hmm. When you experience something, you immediately evaluate it based on your own subjective point of view. Correct. Which also influences how you behave towards it. So if we see something as positive, we'll embrace it. Versus if we see something as negative, we're likely to reject it. Hmm. So your perceptions are a source of reality because it influences your behavior or what the your what you decide to do in response to, I don't know, whatever piece of information or action or something you're experiencing. Yes, it is directly related to how you perceive what is happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. Essentially, your behavior is a demonstration of how you think. Mm-hmm. And other people observe our behavior and create their own perception of us, right? They judge us based on what their belief systems are and their patterns of thinking. But those perceptions mm-hmm. aren't necessarily in line with our reality and they don't necessarily resonate with what we know or want. Now, if we have to bring this back to the workplace setting, here's an undeniable truth. 
how others perceive you in the workplace directly impacts your reality, whether or not the perceptions created are true or not. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Because if somebody perceives you to be a shitty speech therapist, Mm. uh, that could certainly alter your reality. You might not get patient referrals or you might get complaints. So so whether that's true or not, uh, it's going to have an impact on what happens. Yes, so their perspective influences the way that you're going to behave towards it and towards them. And it might either confirm their perception of you or their perspective, or it could change it. If we have to apply this principle to your work life and your personal life, it's safe to say that your perception of the world or your outlook on life is strongly influenced by your background, your beliefs, your training, and your environment, which... I guess is validated on a day-to-day basis by the things that you do and the things that happen around you. Yep, true. But my reality and yours are completely different. So my perspective and yours would therefore not be the same, even if we're sitting in the same situation. Yeah, stands to reason. Yep. 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 All right. So it's subject to the perspective holder. Now, I just want to leave off with a couple of points to think about and how we could potentially use this to our advantage. If Mm -hmm. we learn to question how we perceive ourselves and the world around us and recognize that our interpretation of reality is not necessarily the truth, then we can harness the power of that perception or perspective in a positive way. If we have to reflect on how your behavior is a direct representation of your thought processes. Actually, let's use this in an example. If you hear at work that you didn't receive a promotion that you'd been hoping you would receive, your immediate reaction is going to be that it was unfair, that they're playing favorites, that the system is rigged and you become a victim, which in turn, your behavior will then reflect that perspective, which could be interpreted by the decision maker as a confirmation that it was the correct decision not to award you that promotion. So it actually just highlights how important it is to have this awareness of your perspective or uh, the the impact that your perspective can have because the flip side of that example could be that if your your perception had been one of disappointment as any person would probably feel but you had tried to still react positively or to still try and sort of see the silver lining in the situation, maybe the decision maker would have then, if not now, maybe at a later point, have said, oh, you know what, actually this person, I really noticed that they handled this experience or the situation very well. So X, Y, and Z. So it's actually so important to be aware of this. Yes. And in turn, that would open you up to... I guess, being more open-minded about what you could potentially learn or how you could do self-improvement or improve in the workplace, what sort of training, I don't know, you know, just how you could benefit yourself to get to that point of promotion in the future. Mm -hmm. So I guess this just kind of highlights that you have the opportunity not to remain confined within the walls of your own mind and not to remain rigid in your ways of thinking, but rather to open up to identifying the possibility of an alternative reality, embracing the perspective of others, and opening yourself up to learning and growing from it. Hmm. That is quite profound. Yeah, I also thought that was quite something to think about. 
just something to to consider, not only in your work life, but also, you know, just on a day to day basis with a conversation with other people that you don't necessarily agree with. Mm, absolutely. So this is this has definitely been a very interesting discussion for me. Mm. So I think that wraps it up for this week. So thank you to everyone for taking the time to listen to this episode and for supporting Unconditional and Uncensored. If you haven't already done so and you feel that you'd like to, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever podcast platform that you're using. And this does help get us out into the public eye. We also are on social media. Uh, we have a TikTok profile. We are on Instagram and we're on Facebook too. So if you'd like to stay updated with what is happening on the podcast and also just our individual lives and the things that we get up to, please go follow us on these pages. Until next time. Bye. bye.